be seated. It was the late 80s, early 90s, besides graduating with a distinguished academic career from the University of Minnesota Duluth. I was reminded this last week that uh, when I was talking about how I have a diploma from the University of Minnesota, I'm conflicted between being a gopher and being a badger because my daughter goes to the University of Wisconsin on Wisconsin, and that I'm conflicted. A friend of mine actually said, well, actually, you're not a gopher. You're a bulldog, which is true. I didn't graduate from the University of Minnesota, although what I said was true. My diplomacy, diplomacy, that's a new academic word, diplomacy. You get your diplomacy from the University of Minnesota. My diploma says the University of Minnesota. At any rate, late 80s, early 90s, okay, world, just crazy change and good change, right? And so there's this group out of the British alt-rock band that, that has this song right here, right now. Perhaps you remember it. The name of the band, it's always... It always kind of causes me a little bit of pause, right? Because the name of the band is J-E-S-U-S, Jones. And I'm like, can I use Jesus' name like that? Like, do you ever feel conflicted like if you see a sports player and their name on the back of their jersey is J-E-S-U-S? And you're like, is that legal? Or worse yet, okay, for me, is like the hockey player, Satan? Because it's spelled Satan. I'm like, why would you want that? Wouldn't you change your name? I mean, honestly, at any rate, Jesus Jones, okay, British Outland, right here, right now, gives this song that has this collective sense, right? I was alive and I waited, waited, I was alive and I waited for this, right here, right now, there is no other place than I want to be. It's often how I feel about when I'm at Timberwood Church. Three things today, four if we add one more, who Jesus is, why even Jesus has to wait, the importance of having it right here, and the power of forgiveness. Hebrews 1006, verse 11, chapter 10. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It's kind of a review, right? Most of us who are followers of Christ or who have been in the church any length of time would say, hey, yeah, no, that makes sense. We've seen that before. The author reinforcing what is new, though, in the first century, right? Because they're moving from a, from a sacrificial system to a personal relationship with God brokered by Jesus Christ system. And so the author is reinforcing what is new in the first century and what needs to be learned and, and what is truly important. A, a basis of who Jesus is, what Jesus did and continues to do, and how Jesus talks about the future. All of things are our key in the first century to understand. And I might argue, even though we would view this as a review, it's still important for us to be reminded of this today. If you want to be a follower of Christ, then, then knowing who Christ is and what he did and what he offers and the example that he provides is absolutely key. If, if you call yourself a Christian, 
Well, let me put it this way. There are many people throughout the history of the world who have sought to identify themselves with Jesus Christ. But don't relate to what Jesus Christ actually did or continues to do or the way that he lived. Just claiming to be connected to Christ doesn't do much if you don't know who Jesus is. Or, more precisely, if we don't live as though we know who Jesus is. The review, verses 11, is, is the, the role of, of the priest, the regular priest, the historical priest, would offer sacrifices, would stand throughout his job, okay? And, and there's this play, right? Because they, they talk about the regular priest standing, and then the Jesus as the completion, the new high priest, the best high priest, the completed high priest, as gets done with his work and sits. And so there's this play, right, that the author of Hebrews is doing. It's kind of like we would say a mic drop today, end of story. The old high priest. It was kind of a rinse, wash, repeat cycle, right? Offer a sacrifice. It was the full-time job. Offer another sacrifice. Offer a sacrifice again. Continue offer sacrifice until you die. It's kind of this Groundhog's Day, Bill Morey sort of experience caught in this, this cycle. Jesus as priest, his full-time job, offer one sacrifice his life, and this is key. He then sits, okay, because the work's done. You sit down when the job is over. You drop the mic, walk off the stage. He sits in a place of honor. But his work is not completed because the place where he sits offers both accessibility and responsibility. It offers honor to an individual who has completed the required task, but it also offers responsibility and access. It's really pretty cool and massively distinctive. And while there is no other need to offer any more sacrifices, that is done, that that job is complete, Jesus can sit down, Jesus' work is not done. When he dies on the cross and experiences the resurrection, he continues to execute. He sits in this place of honor and access and responsibility and, and is completing the very best that the Father has in store for us. Have you ever played the game Six Layers of Separation? Okay, there's also the, the thing, game Six Layers of Kevin Bacon. Okay, I love bacon. Okay, I kind of like Kevin Bacon. Okay, and basically the idea is that all of humanity, okay, this is the theory, all of the humanity can be connected, okay, through six casual acquaintances, okay? So all, hum okay, just like, okay, so I know Joe. Joe knows Kevin Bacon. That means... I am one degree separated from Kevin Bacon, okay? Or say, I know Joe, and Joe knows Mary, and Mary knows Tom, and Tom knows Kevin Bacon, okay? So that's how it works. And basically the theory is these layers of separate, and all people can be connected through six layers. I don't know that there's actually been proof of this, but it's a parlor game, a parlor that you can play, all this kind of stuff. Six layers of separation between all humans. 
Jesus offers one layer of separation between you and the Father. And it's him. And that is extraordinary access to the creator of the universe. That is extraordinary access to the God who created us in his image. And it's available through Jesus Christ. And there's all sorts of different ways that we can use this. We can use this in personal ways, right? I can use it in, forgive me. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, the Father forgives me. I have access to the Father. I can even use it like in, um, in a, a kind of, um, what am I trying to say, uh, reminiscing sort of ways. You know, I miss my mom and dad. I don't believe I should talk to the dead, but I say, hey, Jesus, could you let my mom and dad know that I miss them and that I love them? And I finally turned my life around. Well, actually, you turned my life around, but you could let them know that too. Seriously, I do that prayer. I talk to Jesus and I say, let my mom and dad know that I miss them and I love them. And I, and I think it's one of the coolest things. Because of this one layer of separation, because of the access we have to the creator through Jesus Christ, there's another thought related to this. We don't have to look impressive to God for God to want to love us. There's a change in the way God does business with his created order. The movement from people continually coming and offering sacrifices, which ultimately don't do the job, continually trying to do the right thing to look good in God's eyes. To now accepting the reality that Christ offered something once. And we no longer have to play this game of trying to look good enough for God to love us. The text goes on, verse 13. It's really an intriguing verse. He sat down at the right hand of God, 12 into 13, waiting. Even Jesus has to wait. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. I mean, this is really intriguing, right? You know, in a results now, in an on-demand, instant delivery, when is it going to be here kind of society? we find Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father in a place of honor, responsibility, and access, waiting. The the phrase is somewhat cryptic, drawing on imagery from a living space, a a footstool, an ottoman, a hassock, waiting for a day of peace, waiting for a day of rest, waiting for a day when you're sitting back in your easy chair, kicking up your feet on the ottoman in front of you. If you're listening to another preacher right now, you're killing me. (laughs) Come on. Come on. I'll just let you finish up. Maybe we should just put it on the microphone. It'd be good. (laughs) But... 
I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that I can go on. <laughs> There's not many things that take me out of my game, but another preacher in the same space is like, ah. the, the, the cryptic phrase, right, is, is intriguing, right? Because I've never had a footstool attack me. The, the, the Ottoman is not just not an offensive tool. It's not even a defensive tool. It's a relaxing at the end of the day with a beverage in hand sort of tool. And it's a picture of what hasn't happened yet. And in this cryptic verse, right, there is the acknowledgement of the reality that not everything that is wrong is yet right. And that there is still something going on in the world that is less than what it should be. Almost all the commentators point to like a, a World War II example. Do you see the 60-minute special on the Ritchie Boys? Had you ever heard of this, the Ritchie Boys? Ritchie Boys were a group of uh, individuals. Um, many of them were, uh, had grown up in um, Germany, um, native speakers. Um, many of them were of uh, Jewish faith tradition. Um, many of them immigrated um, to the United States of America at the, at the beginning of World War II. And, um, and at first they were viewed suspiciously because they were German nationals, but because they were also Jewish, they're like, well, maybe we can. And so the Ritchie boys are these exclusive group, kind of some of them became the forebears of the OSS, Office for Strategic Services, which became the forebears for the CIA, Wild Bill Donovan, that whole bit, right? I knew that, but I didn't know about the Ritchie boys. And, and basically what they did was they trained these, these young men German nationals of a Jewish faith tradition, and, and, and they were brought back into the war to fight. At any rate, most of the commentators, 60 Minutes, check it last weekend. It was really, it was amazing. It was the whole thing. John Wortham did the special. It was really, it was, it was like, you're like, dang, it feels good, right? I mean, it was just one of those things where we're like, dang, that feels good, because we did, we did right, right? At any rate, so, so, so a lot of the commentators reference this point, right? The difference between D-Day and V-Day, okay? D-Day, okay, the day that the uh, troops stormed the Normandy beaches, okay? June 19, okay? So that day, once that beachhead was secure, within the next 36, 72 hours, it was pretty clear that Nazi Germany was on the way out the door. But V-Day, victory in Europe was going to be almost another year. And there was going to be some brutal battles that had to be fought between D-Day and V-Day. A lot of the commentators say that's the mentality of what verse 13 is describing. Victory is assured. Victory is not yet realized. There is still this reality, a picture of, of what hasn't happened yet. but a picture of what will happen. There's also a warning here. Our friend F.F. Bruce argues, really, what side do you want to be on? Do we want to be on the side of Christ, or do we want to be on the side of the world? Text concludes, we're going to go Old Testament before we come back to New Testament. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, and this is Old Testament, 16, 17, Jeremiah 31, starting with verse 33, roughly, this is the covenant that I will make with them. Because the writer of Hebrews is like, this shouldn't come as a surprise. God has been talking about this for hundreds of years, okay? So this, this thing that Jesus would offer himself in a unique way, this shouldn't come as a surprise. It's been out there. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. How it is and how it can be. How it is, the Holy Spirit lets us know that it's true. How it can be is that the laws, no longer on paper, are written on our heart. Our friend Tom Schreiner argues this idea of perfection and, and sanctification is a multifaceted diamond, okay? It includes in it this idea that, that, that you're forgiven, that I'm forgiven, that I don't have to live. We don't have to live with guilt. Have you ever lived with guilt? Replayed a conversation? Replayed an interaction? Search for forgiveness that, that, that doesn't seem like it's there? We don't have to live that way. That's what Christ did for us when, when we ask for forgiveness and what continues to be done. Sanctification is having more of our lives being touched and healed and perfected by God. Perfected by God, more of our lives, more completely free from sin. And this is God's work in the life of a person who follows Jesus. But please understand, you shouldn't expect a non-believer to have a life that is perfected and sanctified. It's probably close to impossible. Again, this word sanctified, cleaned up, washed. It's like you've taken a sauna, you've toweled off. You could easily bring in any metaphor that has to do with tidying up, a clean shave if you shave. If you don't shave, trim in the beard. If you don't, maybe a haircut. Maybe you don't have hair. Making sure you run the washcloth over the old melon, okay? Whatever it takes, right? Taking out the trash, flushing the toilet. Any of these can remind us of the work that Jesus made possible to have happen in our life. We don't have to live with the pain of the past. We can be forgiven. One of the great things, indoor plumbing, pull the lever, it's gone. Literally, that's what Christ offers. And some of us may be grossed out by that, but that is the imagery that is in play. Any of these things can remind us of the work that Jesus made possible to have happen in our lives. Be less grumpy? Yes, we can, surprisingly, because of the work of Christ. And when we realize that we can be cleaned up and have experienced it in increasing measure in our lives, and please know, it's God's work in the souls of the willing that makes this possible. We can be willing. We can even work in partnership with God. But God starts the ball rolling. Our, our, our gratitude is to God. 
And, and likewise, when we fail, we can say, hey, this one's on me. Which is opposite of the world. Okay? The, the world is like, no, if something good happens to me, it's because I created it. And if something bad happens to me, it's because someone did it to me. We had this football player this last week, right? Greatest football player in the world. Walks off the field, right? takes all his clothes off. Well, at least the top half of his clothes. And, you know, that would have been a statement, right? If he had, never mind. No. 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 The world accepts credit when things go in a good direction and places blame when things go in the wrong direction. It's a dead giveaway. If, if a person calls himself a follower of Christ and accepts the credit, but none of the blame, you, it's a dead giveaway. They're not a follower of Christ. A, a dead giveaway. If you're like, well, that's not my problem, dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. I've never done anything wrong. Dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. They're not a follower of Christ. And if they're not a follower of Christ, then the expectations of who they should be might differ in our brains. If we're a follower of Christ, we give God credit for what he's doing in our lives. We testify to God's goodness in our existence. And we, I take the blame for the bad. I take the blame for my own sin. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, my son keeps me. My sin keeps me from doing what's right. <laughs> That's not God's fault. That's my fault. When we do that, we sound like a true follower of Jesus. This idea of forgiveness, right? I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. God says he'll remember our sins no more. No memory, the end of memory. No need to remember. Because sin has been forgiven. It might be one of the greatest distinguishing realities between humans and the Creator. I find it so hard to forget. I find it so hard to forgive. Remember, the word that is used, remember, it's a special word. It's a word that is much more than describing memory. It's a word used in the Old Testament to refer to God and how he thinks about his people when things are as they should be. Or how he thinks or acts when the hope exists for things as they should be. God says, here are the economics of the situation. Because of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. There is a remedy for sin. And forgiven sin is no longer remembered by God. I don't know how this happens. I can't explain it. God has the capacity to do something that I cannot even imagine. And, and that shouldn't be a surprise. A couple thoughts on this. What if I can't forgive? What if I can't forget? I've been told in the past, forgive and forget, forget and forgive. These two things put together. And I found that challenging, right? Because it's really hard for me to forget. And in one level, 
if I can't forget, I, I really don't think that that's a problem. Although I might argue it would only seem like I can't forget. <laughs> to be sure, in some situations, memory keeps us from getting in a bad spot again. I mean, easy, is, easy example to see. Say you're a spouse who has experienced abuse. And the offender says, forgive me, <laughs> forgive me. And we've been told, oh, forgive and forget. Okay, but, but I'm not likely to forget and my remembering probably keeps me from getting beat up by you again. So if we can't totally forget, I've got some space there. The challenge is if I can't forgive... Forgiveness in its most elemental is giving up the right to get even. So when God says he forgives us, God gives up the right to get even for violating how he created the world to be. God says, I'm willing to give up the right to get even, willing to give up my right to punish for what has happened. When we forgive we give up the right to be get even. And while I'd be the first one to stay, no one can be expected to act exactly like God. The example of Christ is compelling. And forgiving is absolutely critical for us to understand and explore and know. Giving up the right to get even. Second thought on this point. In God's eyes, in God's economic reality, if you ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. I'm not sure that we fully comprehend all that that means. Because if we truly, truly appreciated that we do not have to bear the weight of our sin, we'd be writing songs. We'd be singing songs. We'd be like, this is the coolest thing in the world. There's no better time to be alive than right now. Why? Because I'm forgiven. And then I think, each and every Sunday we gather together. And the reason why the music stirs our souls so effectively the reason why the words are so important is that we are engaging in this reality. We are understanding what it means to be forgiven. And so we can celebrate, we can be joyful. And by our example here, or if you're at home, we engage in a grand celebration of the soul and the community that we are forgiven. 
because we've asked Jesus Christ to forgive us. Right here, right now, the best time to be alive. Please pray with me. Father, we've covered a lot of ground today. We're grateful. We're grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus. We're also acknowledging, Father, that for some of us, we're in a painful spot in our lives right now. And, and I tell you, if you are in a bad spot, if you are in a relationship that is putting you in danger, please don't leave today without talking to someone. Don't, don't, don't go into a situation where you put your life or your children's lives in danger. Please, please let us help you. For all of us, oh great God, we come. We come at the precipice of understanding your offer of forgiveness. Will we take the offer? Will we ask to be forgiven? Will we enjoy a relationship with you brokered by your son who sits at your right hand? a place of honor, a place of responsibility, a place of accessibility for us. Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand.